Today on the Freedom Warrior Podcast, the FBI is looking dirtier by the day. More revelations about the launch of the FISA spying. Then let's talk basic economics. When there's only so much crap in the world, yet people think it is endless. And finally, racism on the left. It's real and I'm going to show it to you. My name is Derek and again, this is the Freedom Warrior Podcast. Let's just dive right in. FISA abuse. So there was an article today that was put out on the Hill by John Solomon, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it and give you an idea of some abuse that has been occurring. I think many will be aware of it, but really scary stuff in a nation like the United States of America that this stuff is happening. So according to the Hill, then number four DOJ official Bruce Orr, briefed both senior FBI and DOJ officials in summer 2016 about Christopher Steele's Russia dossier, explicitly cautioning that the British intelligence operative's work was opposition research connected to Hillary Clinton's campaign and might be biased. Unreal. They told them, he told them, multiple people, but the head of the FBI about this dossier in the summer, July 31st of 2016. This is four months before the election and three months before they did the initial FISA application uh, and warrant uh, when they went to court and used the dossier as justification for obtaining the warrant to spy on Carter Page and thus the entire Trump campaign. Uh, So the briefing included the deputy director of the FBI, that's Andrew McCabe, uh, a top DOJ lawyer for Loretta Lynch, the AG uh, for Obama, and then also a DOJ official who later became the top deputy to special counsel Robert Mueller. So the number two for the entire Russia hoax, fraud, fairy tale campaign uh, investigation. Well, it's a campaign in many ways, too. Um, the number two in that was briefed back in summer 2016 that the dossier was junk and it was biased and it was funded by Clinton. Yet he's number two on the special counsel researching all of the crap that was from the dossier. Obviously, they moved on since then, aren't even. They aren't even looking at the dossier. That was just kind of a a way to launch into things and and really sink their claws in. But still, unreal. So these warnings were omitted weeks later when the FISA warrant that the FBI obtained, um, it was was omitted. And then that that FISA, of course, granted the the spying on the campaign. So Orr's warnings uh, were documented. In, in both handwritten notes, which is kind of like uh, old Comey's uh, diaries that he would keep when he was uh, talking to Trump all the time. And then he also disclosed this information in congressional testimony under penalty of perjury. So, you know, you can't say this is just garbage information, fairy tale, uh, conspiracy stuff like the witch hunt is. This is this guy went under oath and is sounding the alarm back in 2016. Uh and he's not just a nobody. He's in the number four at the DOJ under Obama. Um, so later, well, several months ago, but later from that point, a redacted version of the FISA application was released 
and it did not mention any connection to the DNC or Clinton. That's kind of a big deal. That's exactly what Orr was saying in 2016. What are we in now? 2019, and we're still talking about this? Orr said in 2016. I mean, halfway back into 16, even. Uh, So the FBI claimed ignorance, saying they were unaware, quote-unquote, unquote, unaware of any derogatory information about Steele, except there was from the number four DOJ official, and that he told them about it. So, Orr said under oath, quote, I provided information to the FBI when I thought Christopher Steele was, as I said, desperate that Trump not be elected. Unquote. That is Orr's testimony talking about Steele, the author of the dossier, saying he he thought he was desperate for Trump not to be elected. Um, next up... So the, the, the FBI knew back in, in July 16 that the Steele dossier was biased, drafted by a desperate man not to see Trump elected. Yet weeks later, when they went to the FISA court, they used that same document to get a FISA warrant and spy. And people will say on the left, they'll say that, oh, it was just part of it. I don't care if it was 1%. You had someone sound the alarm saying it was a political hit job, a political bias, fake news, fake whatever... Fake news wasn't even a, a phrase back then, but I'm just saying it was a, a biased document funded by the political opposition in a presidential election, and you threw that at a FISA judge to spy, to use the weapon, the arm of our uh, our law enforcement uh, in our government to spy on in the middle of the political campaign through and after an election. Unreal. Unreal. Um or continued. He said that he told the FBI agents that his wife and Steele were working for the same firm and that it condu- it was conducting the Trump-Russia research project at the behest of Trump's Democratic rival, the Clinton campaign. So, I mean, he wasn't even mild. He didn't just sort of, you know, sprinkle it on there. He laid it on thick. He told them exactly what was happening, and they just ignored it. So they can't claim ignorance. They were told, the top people were told back and this is, by the way, the center of all attention for these folks, and it's in the middle of the campaign. You're telling me that didn't register? It's just like, oh, well, we didn't quite know, we didn't quite verify it, but we, we threw it in the FISA application. I mean, I guess there were other things in there, though, so I can't really say it was that. No, you were warned that this was a, a, biased, uh, a biased product that was used as political opposition. Um, anyways, so who did Orr reach out to when he talked to the FBI? He reached out to none other than Andrew McCabe and lover girl Lisa Page, the FBI attorney who was caught texting with Peter Stroke, the head investigator, counterintelligence investigator, that were caught by the IG, an official investigation by the government, uh, into the FBI corruption. They were caught texting uh, later that they were that they were hoping to take down the 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 Trump campaign, or they wanted to stop him or prevent him. They they spoke of an emergency or an insurance policy. I mean, that's who Orr told at the FBI. So, of course, I mean, th- first of all, these two, by the way, McCabe and Page, they've been fired. So, <laughs> they were fired for a reason. They're gone. Of course, he, he picked the two people that were corrupt 
I mean, there were more than two that were corrupt, but he picked two corrupt people. And of course it, it did nothing. It fell on deaf ears because they already had a plan rolling. They were in the middle of doing what they were going to do. You think they're going to let some number four at the DOJ sound the alarm and just, oh, well, I guess we'll stop this whole spying on our political opposition thing. No, they were in the middle of that operation and it was already uh, occurring at that point. Uh, so this this revelation undercuts the arguments that House Democrats made last year that Orr's contact with the FBI only began weeks after the election and more than a month after the court approved this initial FISA. It didn't take place a month after the election or a weeks after the election and a month after the court approved it in October. It took place in July. That's what Orr said. That's what his notes indicate. That's what he swore under uh, oath that happened. So now that this is completely debunked, Orr warned the FBI and they used it anyway. And, you know, they just wanted Trump to go down. And it's becoming more clear by the day. The omissions by the FBI in the FISA warrant are the definition of FISA abuse. They didn't use the Woods procedure to verify. That's how that you ver- uh, verify your information uh, for a FISA application. Or, uh, or how you verify the application itself is you go through the Woods procedure and make sure that all of the information is accurate. Uh, obviously, it wasn't. A very credible person was sounding the alarm. Uh, not some, you know, guy off the street, number four at the DOJ. So the FBI is trusted to provide exculpatory evidence to the court, the FISA court, and it didn't do this. Even worse, they re-upped the FISA application like two or three more times in the months following. So it was a three to four month window where they were spying on the Trump campaign and the transition team. How do you think they got Flynn on uh, lying to the FBI about transcripts of calls. Of course, they were listening to the calls. I mean, they had they had a FISA warrant. They could listen to all of them. Uh, so that's that. Uh, that's about enough to make your head spin. Um, it should bother you even if you're on the left because I can't imagine the chaos that would ensue if Trump decided, hey, we need our FBI to uh, sort of you know, look into that Beto O'Rourke guy and Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren. And, uh, you know, I've got this memo that uh, we had this uh, this British guy find some dirt. He talked to some Russians and he threw all a bunch of this crap in a document. And we, uh, we brought that to the FISA court and uh, the FBI said, yeah, it's good. We're good with that. And then we just listened to them for four months in the middle of an election. I wonder if they would enjoy that. I wonder if they would find that, you know, like it, it might be sort of unconstitutional at the very least. Not to mention immoral, unethical, uh, scandalous, uh, catastrophic. Uh, you, you know, I could pick a lot more words. But uh, next up on a lighter note, economics. Scarcity in basic economics. So economics really boils down to scarcity and incentives, which is why money doesn't matter as much as one would think. It's more about the interactions. It's more about the resources. It's more about the behavior um, and and the in, incentive for said behavior. Uh, I was reading Thomas Sowell's book, uh, Basic Econ- Economics, again recently, and he spoke of unmet needs. 
and they're common, especially among the left, uh, talking about the implementation of change and why we need to, you know, fix everything. So it's not like it's it's rare on the right either. It's just the left tends to want more uh, spending, you know, on on unmet needs and fix this. Like you know, I'm talking free healthcare, that type of thing. But he he brought up a good point, and that is parking spaces are common unmet needs in major cities, but we don't go tear down hospitals and fire stations to make room for a new parking garage. That's because we evaluate the costs, determining that the parking is less valuable than the emergency services. Surely we could fix the problem, but at what cost? You know, how about the unmet need of everyone having health care, free health care? Like the parking analogy, there's a massive cost to implementing universal health care. Um, you know, increased wait times, lower quality service, added bureaucracy akin to the DMV, just to name three biggies. Um, you know, when you're looking to go back to the parking analogy, you know, could we do it? Yes. But like, what is the cost of, you know, digging up, excavating, uh, demolition of other buildings, you know, digging a hundred feet deep and, and making parking spaces, uh, real estate is a commodity in a, a way in the city. So, you know, parking spaces are nothing more than real estate. They just, they occupy space. So I think what he was getting at and what I'd like to emphasize is that we need to look more at not just would it be nice if everybody had this, but more at what is the best approach or the maximize, uh, how minimize our maximum regrets. So we don't want to regret an unmet need that is going to be catastrophic, of course. But if we implement full universal healthcare, we're going to have a bigger regret than if we don't. Far bigger. It's going to be the parking space analogy. Everybody will be covered. Everyone will have a parking space. But we're going to have deficiencies across the city, across, in, in the parking uh, scenario, across the whole country in the universal healthcare scenario. And by the way, I am in the VA for healthcare, and I can tell you it sucks. It's horrible. It's the worst. It takes forever. It's the most depressing thing if you ever need an appointment. Because you go there and you see people desperate for medical care that are covered under the VA. And they aren't getting it. And it's just gross. And it's like, that's what... I can't believe there are so many people that are looking for that. For just everybody. And they want the DMV like experience for healthcare to crack your chest open or to, you know, go have a, a medical procedure or something. And there's all of the rationing that comes along with it. Um, you know, I mean, I think the latest CBO uh, projections predicted over a 40% cut in pay for doctors for uni uh, universal healthcare, for example, just one unmet need, of course, but I, I just use it as a, a, a point of conversation here or discussion or I guess it's more of a monologue, but anyway, uh, it would take 10 years and 200, 500,000 dollars still to be a doctor. 
because that's still going to require the same. Nothing's changing there. But they're only getting 40, 40% less pay, or they're only getting 60% of the pay, whatever. Uh, are they going to want to do that? Is the incentive there to be a doctor? And why would they? They're going to have a higher volume of patients. They're going to have less money but all of the upfront costs. So that's going to be a big issue. It's going to lead to increased wait times. It's going to reduce reduce the quality of care. And it's going to lead to rationing, where you have to pick and choose the winners. That's what's happening with the VA. You know, you have old people that are just a lost cause. You know, oh, you've got this kind of cancer and that uh, kind of disease. Yeah, we just can't operate. Um, okay, well... I still have health care, right? Like, why am I not getting treated? Well, because we can only treat so many, sir. You know, that's that's what's happening. And it's the same, you know, over there in uh, the UK and, and in Canada. You hear of stories like that. All of them have rationing problems. That's why the wait times are so long. Even to get just basic things done or specialty, uh, getting into a specialist or having, uh, you know, getting a, a, a biopsy or or a mammogram, or whatever. I mean, they're all taking forever just to be able to do routine things. You know, time is a big deal when you're talking about health. <laughs> so um, be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. Um, so another point I'd like to bring up here, there's an interesting thing that happens at the Pentagon. I work at the Pentagon. Twice a year, they have a event where they give you, there's tons of stores in the Pentagon. I, I should preface this by saying there are tons of stores, probably 25 restaurants, uh, mostly fast food, but still, uh, there are shops, there are barber shops, there are clothing stores, there are gift shops, there are jewelry stores, there are, you know, florists, there are banks. There, I mean, it's basically like a little city. Uh, they have more shops than most small towns have, uh, that's for sure. So, twice a year, you can go to any store once for that day and get $5 off, even if you only spend $5.01. Or even if you only spend $4. Either way, you're getting $5 off. It'll be free. You'll owe nothing if you get a, a sandwich and it's four $4.50. You probably won't because it's DC, but my point is twice a year they do this and you don't it's not just restricted to one store you can do this at uh every store you could go to subway and get a whatever a foot long would be for normally twelve dollars get a foot long for six seven bucks then you can go to the gift shop and get a ten dollar souvenir for five dollars you can go to the clothing store and buy a ten dollar tie for five dollars you can go to the haircut place and get a $5 haircut, whatever. Like it's, it's a good deal. It's really cool. Right. But that's in theory, that's in, on the surface, but in reality, what does that mean? Well, if we look back at economics, we know exactly what it's going to mean. Can you take a wild guess how long the lines are on these days? It's like a madhouse. It's a circus. It's a disaster because this is what happens in like New York, you know, with rent controlled apartments. You are artificially setting the price low. I'm going to be more uh, eager to go jump into a line 
when I know I'm getting $5 off, even though I'm receiving $10 worth of goods. My point is that scarcity and incentives matter in economics, and the entire premise of progressivism is to be, is to just throw that out the window or ignore it entirely. As much as I like those twice a year events at the Pentagon, I actually don't really mind just having prices be normal and just having lines that are appropriate for the product that I'm getting, the incentive, the demand, you know, I'm, I don't want to have a hundred people in line at Subway just to save $5. That's what's going to happen with healthcare. Is that what people really want? Is having, you know, everybody in there for sniffles? Um, you know, you're just trying to get, uh, you know, you cut your finger and your finger's bleeding and you need stitches and you're sitting in line behind people who, you know, well, sorry, we've got a kid with sniffles here. Uh, that's, that's what's happening in our emergency rooms already because we offer free care there. Uh, but my point is it's going to be way worse under a universal health care system. Lines will increase. Every day will be that Pentagon day, and it's going to suck because people don't understand basic economics. And by people, I mean people on the left, generally speaking. Last up, racism on the left, it does exist. I can prove it. I'm going to show you some examples. It is for sure a thing, okay? So the DNC had to distance themselves recently from the Women's March because you may have heard they were caught being sort of anti-Semitic and not just being anti-Semitic, like talking about it. And people were there to witness it. So... Um, the founders, the leaders of that march were um, not such a fan of the Jews, and the DNC had to distance themselves from it. Uh, and this is, by the way, the uh, the biggest march of 2017, I want to say, the, the women's march. You know, right, remember right after the election, you know, there was like the, the first... Uh, moving pieces of the resist movement or the resistance, whatever it is. And it turns out that they were kind of dabbling with anti-Semitism because that's the leadership. That's who's running it. You had Linda Sarsour out there. Uh, Next up, you may remember several years ago now, I think it was 2015, maybe, uh, Obama used the memorial service for the Dallas police officers that were uh, murdered to speak to a broader problem of racial discrimination in policing. You may remember the seven, I think it was seven police officers who were gunned down by that uh, young African-American male who had a Facebook page littered with Black Lives Matter material. So he, rather than use this opportunity to bring people together... Obama went to that memorial and used it to further emphasize racial discrimination. And that was the same cause the killer was motivated by. And you're at the funeral, basically. You're doing the eulogy. You're doing the memorial service for these cops. And you're over there talking about how cops are, you know, well, cops are sort of racist still, essentially. I mean, you're saying there's still a lot of progress to be made. Like, that's what the that's what the killer would want you to be saying right now. What are you doing? Like anyway, uh, 
and this is anecdotal as it may be, as I said yesterday on the radio program, uh, the CNN analyst accused David Webb of white privilege. So that's that's just that's racism. That is racism. Your your initial thought is race. That's racism. Um, it's a predisposition to the overemphasis of race without knowing a single thing about a person. And it's not a rare occurrence on the left. This is why nearly every conservative has been called a racist or bigot at some point. It's a preloaded response intended to character assassinate the target, winning the debate by default. Uh, Also, just last year, I think it was, maybe a year and a half ago, the Evergreen College incident. They had the day of absence where the white people were told to get the hell off campus. And uh, I guess that's not racist. I don't know. while this is an example uh, that's kind of fringe, it's fairly mainstream view now. Uh, it's a fairly fairly mainstream view on campuses now, and there are many other schools that have segregate, segregated dorms now. Like they've went backwards. Like we're back to segregation on many campuses now. Unreal. Uh, after his presidency, conveniently, a picture surfaced of Obama smiling and posing for the camera with with Luis Farrakhan perhaps the most known anti-Semite in America. He called the Jews termites. That's not exactly very uh, nice to do to the Jewish people. Um, This is the left-wing equivalent of a right-wing politician smiling and posing with David Duke. That was what Obama did. And they hid. The press hid it. The press hid that, that photo. They had that photo. That photo was taken in like 2008. Or something like that. It was taken a, a, a long time before, and suddenly, finally, somehow, it, it surfaced. Well, of course, now he's not out in office. He can't be politically damaged by it. Uh, next up, um, Rashid Talib or Talib Talab. I don't know. She's a, a freshman congresswoman from Michigan, my home state, uh, who recently posed with a photo of the map of. Israel or that region and she had a post-it note covering up Israel saying Palestine so there's no racism there no need to condemn that behavior it's only when the right does it or does anything that it's a there's a racism problem and I will condemn it when I see it I'm just condemning it on all sides and I'm seeing it on the left as well yet it gets a pass every time and this uh, Rashida gal she hides behind this and this is her quote on a tweet recently, she hides behind this quote, yes, I'm a Muslim and Palestinian, get over it, unquote, shield, she uses that as a shield, um, you know, while she's simultaneously posing with Linda Sarsour, an anti-Semite who is part of the reason why the DNC had to distance themselves from the Women's March, so like, obviously there's, there's a, a reason you're distancing yourself from them, so is it because there's some racism going on? Well, then if so, why aren't you condemning it there too? And then just last week, Rashida, uh, I, I wish I knew her last name, Talib Talayib, uh, she hosted a celebrity dinner with an anti-Israel activist who had previously praised Hezbollah and Palestinian terrorists. And uh, that, that gal's name is Abbas Hamida. And this is a sitting, we're talking about a sitting member of Congress on the left, but there are no calls for her to apologize. You know, I like to say on the, on the right, our fringe people are on like 4chan and Infowars. And on the left, they're in Congress. 
You know, you've got this Rashida, you've got uh, Bernie, you've got uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you've got another uh, congresswoman uh, up in uh, Minnesota who is uh, spouting off conspiracy theories uh, recently in the past couple days about Trump having dirt on... uh, on uh shoot i'm trying to remember who he had dirt on um anyway some conspiracy and i'm like this is our conspiracies are on the corners of the internet you know like is he harming anybody there that that woman and those people are like in dc making laws that's (laughs) unreal believing in socialism making laws so uh that is it for today uh just one quote for the day on the freedom warrior quotes of the day so it is singular today but this one comes from mark twain no man's pros or sorry no man's property is safe when congress is in session well thankfully it's not (laughs) thankfully thankfully there's no agreement right now i guess huh uh so on that note I appreciate, I truly appreciate all of your attention and support, and I look forward to tomorrow. Everybody have a great weekend, and, uh, well, I guess, I don't know, I treat Fridays like weekends, so have a great weekend. Tomorrow's Friday. That's like a day off, practically. Enjoy it. Enjoy your freedom. This is the Freedom Warrior Podcast. My name is Derek. Derek.